All right. And All right. We're going. Who's ready to get started? I am so ready. All right. We're on. All right. Hey, Jet. Hey, Kel. How you doing? I'm good, man. <laughs> it's All early, right. but I'm good. It's early. Um, so we're going to play another game this week. Um, oh, man, we love games. We do love games, but this one's on the little more darker side of things. Mm-hmm. It's a little more depressing. I'm sorry, but got to do it to you. Yeah. Um, true or false? More African-American babies were aborted in New York City than African-American babies born in New York City in 2019. Oh, geez. Well, since you gave the disclaimer that it's a little more depressing, I'm, yeah. I, I, I guess I assume that it's true. I, yeah. I hope it's not. But, no, it is. Oh, geez. It's actually a very true statement. And Goodness. It's really sad, and it's really it's really depressing, really heartbreaking, but yeah. it is the fact of the matter, and uh, we're going to hey, get into more of it. that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. We're here to talk about the facts. Yeah. So. I'm Kelm Harris. And I'm Jack Coatney. And this is, is Red, Red Receipts. Receipts. So uh, last week we talked with uh, Danny Acevedo about socialism, had a really good talk, um, talked about many really good points, and a lot of really fun opinions, but like I, like you just said, we talked about the facts. And today we're going to do that exact same thing again. Today we have one of our really close friends, Bonnie Nichols, in the studio. Bonnie is super cool, super fun, super intelligent, and super informed, and we're so excited to have her. So, Bonnie, welcome to Red Receipts. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Bonnie, yeah. thanks so much for joining us today. It really means a lot. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about women's health, or as it should be known as abortion. And Bonnie is going to give us more insight into that. As a woman with a uterus, um, she has more clout than us, I think, to talk about this, or at least a lot of people would think so. So, Bonnie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, you know, you and your story. All right. Well, like y'all said, my name is Bonnie Nichols. I'm a sophomore business management the sophomore business management major from Arlington, Texas. Um, and then I go here uh, to Abilene Christian University. I was raised in a conservative Christian home, and I definitely still align with those beliefs after doing a lot of my own personal research and study of the scriptures and stuff. Um, when I came to college, I was a music education major, and my original plan was to get a degree in music ed and then eventually get into missions, but I was going to kind of just do the missions part on my own and then have a a job teaching music to kind of fall back on. Um, I've always been told, like, growing up and stuff, that I have a pretty natural ability with, like, children and that I work well with kids and that my career should reflect that in the future. And so missions is definitely something that I feel like I've been called to, like, by God, and I've had people, like, tell me how well I would do in that field and stuff, and I've definitely held back from taking a bigger step towards that career path because it is like a scarier career path. Um, Being in the mission field isn't stable. It doesn't provide stability or a, you don't have a for sure salary or you're not gonna make six figures, you know? And I'm a very big planner. So jumping into something that I can't plan well really scares me. Um, But this past semester I decided to take a leap of faith and I changed my major to business management so I could gain the necessary knowledge and skills to open up an orphanage in the future. Um, This decision definitely took a lot of prayer and a lot of advice from people, and it took a lot of faith in God to make because, like I said, going into something that I don't know where I'm going to end up is very scary for me. Um, Over the past year, with the political and social climate going on, abortions become a topic that's kind of been on my mind a lot lately and it's definitely a lot of the reason that I want to work with orphan children in the future 
Um, I'm very much a pro-life person, and I don't think that it's okay to take the life of a baby in the womb. And abortion definitely drives me to want to run an orphanage because even though I would only be able to help a small portion of the orphans in the world or the people who might not get an abortion because there's other options, um, I think saving just a small amount of people would be worth it all. Uh, I want to. I know a lot. The pro-life movement kind of has a bad rep for speaking up about abortion and saying it's wrong, but not doing much to help children after they're born. So a lot of people say, "Oh, you're pro-life." No, you're just pro-birth. And I definitely want to make a change in that name of the pro-life movement. Yeah, super, super good. Uh, really good introduction there. I think that really gives us an idea of who we're talking with here today, Jet. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just jump right into it and start asking you some questions if you're cool with that. Yeah. All right. So um, first of all, uh, I think it's good to know what do you consider the beginning of a person's life? Um, What does child development really look like in that first trimester of pregnancy? Uh, Yeah. So this is something I've done a lot of research on, uh, not just for this podcast, but in general, just because it is something that, like I said, I'm very passionate about. Uh, and according to multiple websites, this is what the fir- or the four, five, and six weeks after conception in a child's development looks like. Uh, and four weeks after conception, a baby's neural tube is closing along the back of their neck. Their spinal cord is developing from the neural tube, and their heart and other organs are forming, and they get a heartbeat at four weeks. Um, and the formation of their eyes and their ears is beginning to develop. At five weeks, the baby's brain and the face are growing. Uh, Their nostrils become visible and their retinas begin to form in their eyes. And at six weeks, their legs begin to take the shapes of paddles. Their fingers begin to form and the ears and the eyes become obvious. The upper lip and the nose form and then the neck begins to straighten out. So that's just the first four to six weeks after conception. Um, That's like what a baby looks like, what the organs that are formed and the nerves it has and stuff like that. Well, okay, yeah, that's uh, some really good detail um, about about the development of the child. But um, so since we're talking about abortion, when in that first trimester um, it, are most abortions taking place? So just so we can like kind of get a gauge on, on how developed that child is already. So 90% of abortions are performed when a baby is 13 weeks old. So this would be six weeks after all of the, all of the, it's called development that we've been talking about just now. So you're saying that by the time that they've been aborted at 13 weeks old, they're already pretty much a, a person in the making. Like they have everything they need um, as far as a heartbeat, a face, fingers, toes. And if everything were to go well the rest of the pregnancy, then it would be a, a viable human being, a contributor to society at the end of that pregnancy. Dang. That's, that's, that's crazy. That uh, kind of makes me upset. That make, actually makes me really upset. Yeah. Um, well, good to know. That's actually really good, no- good to know here. Um, so the next thing that I really want to talk about is that many people argue that a child or clump of cells cannot feel pain. Where do you where do you really stand on this issue? Because I know it's a really controversial topic. Um, well, that's kind of hard to believe that a baby can't feel the pain at 13 weeks because at 13 weeks they have the nervous system. They have, like I said, like their brain is developing and their nervous system is developing and stuff. And so that's where your that's where the feeling of pain comes from, you know. 
And there's actually a really good movie that kind of shows in detail this whole idea of, like, the baby can't feel it and stuff. Um, And the movie's called Unplanned. And it definitely is a conservative Christian movie, so it's very obvious that it is a conservative Christian movie. But it's about this woman named Abby Johnson, and it's based on a true story. And she basically tells her experience. um, And she had two, this woman had two abortions herself. And she, when she was younger, she went to a Planned Parenthood to get a job. And if you've ever seen, um, like, videos or been to a Planned Parenthood, you'll see that they, the first position that you start off in is a greeter. And you stand at the door and you keep headphones in because across the street there's going to be protesters and people preaching against abortion. And so they don't want to let you get it in your head. And so you walk out to the car. Whenever a car pulls up, you walk out and you basically hide the woman away from the protesters and you bring her into the clinic. So it's like like Secret Service level protection for, <laughs> Kinda, people, yeah. for people getting ready to like kill their baby. That's that's kind of crazy. So Abby Johnson, um, she, her story kind of goes from her working her way up from being a greeter to basically running one of the pro-life or one of the sorry Planned Parenthood clinics until um, one day she had to sit in on an abortion. Because in in an abortion procedure, you have to have someone oversee, and one of the doctors was out and couldn't oversee the procedure that day. And so she went to sit in on this procedure and watch it, and you can see it on, on the screen in the movie. Like, it shows a video of an ultrasound, and she sees in this ultrasound the baby pulling away from the vacuum that they're trying to suck it out of. Oh, wow. So that in itself for me is, like, this woman has experienced it. She's telling her experience the baby has the instinct and instinct in the feelings to pull away because it's like they're trying to vacuum it out, you know? So the baby does not only, not only does the baby feel pain, but it, it has the instinct to actually move away whenever it's in distress. Is mm-hmm. what you're saying. Oh wow. my goodness. I, I didn't know that. That and is. People are, people are okay with this? Apparently. That's, you know? Oh my goodness. Um, I can't. Wow. I, I can't. <clears throat> that's. It's really eye-opening, um, but uh, you know, I want to I want to move into this question here. Um, so, so you're kind of talking about these abortion clinics, these Planned Parenthood medical centers. Uh, they're they're known for being women's health care facilities, right? Um, so, <clears throat> abortion is considered a woman's health care process, but but why is that uh, distinction flawed? Why why is that wrong? And what is your take on the idea that? that ending a life nowadays is considered health care. Um, I don't believe abortion is good women's health care or women's health care in general because I believe abortion is a very unnatural procedure. It's a very unnatural thing. And um, that's something that I think people don't realize and that it kind of shows it in the movie too in Unplanned with Abby Johnson's abortions herself. Um you a woman has can have like serious side effects from having an abortion because the the woman's body a woman's body is made to carry a baby it's not made to vacuum one out when you get one mm-hmm. or when you get pregnant and so and there's like a lot of different side effects that come from unsuccessful abortions 
And from abortions in general, women can have like cramping and bleeding for weeks at a time. It can damage the tissue inside of your uterus and things like that. And that's just talking about the lasting physical effects. And and that's not even touching on the the mental, uh, psychological effects effects of of, uh, abortions, which, I mean, you see it statistically. It's it's shocking the increase in rates of uh, depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal thoughts, self-harm. Uh, that that feeling that that post uh, postpartum depression, postpartum depression of, it's right? Like it's it's, without, it's like that, yeah. but but it's like well, and in, instead of having the child there with you, you feel the absence of the child. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's all backed up in statistics. Yeah, and not to mention not just on the mom, but possibly on the dad as well. Like, I mean, like you think about um, you think about how terrible it has to be for the mom psychologically after that, but you know, like. The dad, I feel like he is just as much of a role here. Like it, it definitely can take a psychological and mental toll on him as well, and Most emotional. Um, anyway, um, moving on with what you were saying. Um, essentially, you know, you were saying that it's not good women's health, and I just wanted to talk with you about more on more on that. There's, you said that there were, you know, uh, particular cases and rape. Yeah. And- so there's um, three main reasons why. Three main reasons why a woman has an abortion, and this was taken from uh, statistics on from a bunch of different clinics and stuff. Uh, the three main reasons are that they say that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. Uh, they say they cannot afford a child, or they say they do not want to be a single parent or are having problems with their husband or partner. In other special cases, and this makes up... Um, of abortions are due to those three reasons. And then in the other cases, 13% include women having a physical problem, being pregnant, it risks the mother's life, and uh, around 2% are due to rape or incest. So that means that, well, I I know that personally, when I have conversations about abortion with people that claim to be pro-choice, they always bring that up first. They always bring up, well, you know, what about in cases of, of rape or incest? And, and then, like, when it's a threat to the, to the woman's life. But so, so you're saying that rape and incest account for 2%. So that's, that's such a small amount of, of, the, of the bigger problem. 85% of the, of the issue is really just abortion on demand, which is... Birth control. Right, which, which people use as birth control, which it, that should not be a viable option of birth control. No. Wow. That's a, that, that just... It just it amazes me the amount of people that want to fight so hard for the 2% of abortions whenever there is an entire 85% talking about just convenience. And it's it's truly astonishing that that's what people who are more well, pro-choice want to talk about. People definitely argue for the 15% because they argue for the women with a physical health problem and the women that are uh, victims of rape or incest. And I am in no way like just gonna avoid how important that is because those are very serious things to talk about. Right. Uh, since abortion was legalized, more than 50 million babies have been aborted in the you know, womb. I think it's eclipsed so, 60 million even. I, I was reading closer it on the to last 60 night. Million yeah, I believe now. it's about 60 yeah, million. I didn't want to overshoot it, but so you get the point. Right. Millions of babies are being aborted um, with this being legal now. And so even 15% of 60 million babies, that's a lot of lives to consider. So I think those are definitely two very important issues to talk about as well but like you said like people will bring up that 15 percent and while that's equally as important there's a whole nother 85 percent of the 60 million being aborted 
out of convenience. Right, and we definitely need to address that 15%. Um, and, and I think part of that is introducing uh, different ideas of, of how to care for the mother, uh, of how to care for the, the embryo. There, there are different ways. I, I just read a CNN article the other day talking about how uh, an embryo was birthed after uh, it was conceived 27 years ago and then frozen, and then um, someone adopted that embryo, and, and so now that child is born, and, and so far, I think it was like six or eight weeks being alive. It has no serious uh, birth defects or anything. He's and, out here walking around? Yeah, and, and so I'm Go saying off. that this is, this is like there are different options. It's not such a binary topic as, as people like to approach it as. There are different avenues to to get help for the mother, to, to uh, raise the, the, the embryo, uh, develop the embryo uh, in like an incubation t- uh, chamber. And or, medicine is so advanced. Exactly. There's, we have yeah. the technology to address this yeah. issue. And that's one thing I never really like knew what to say. Like when it came to cases like that, cases of rape or cases where it um, would harm the mother to have the child. But um, someone I trust and like know pretty well recently shared some good insight on this. And she was saying if it's going, if a pregnancy is going wi- to risk the mother's life, there's always the option to deliver a baby prematurely. Because mm-hmm. you then you're at least giving the baby a fighting chance. And even though it's uh, and, putting the baby's life at risk, it still gives it both still the mother and... It still gives them a chance. It's right. not just This would be a, like a, a cesarean birth, a C-section. It would be something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I... But, <laughs> but yeah, an early yeah. delivery, essentially. Early, yes. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. got wow. you. Yeah. So, so you're telling us that there is a possibility of saving the woman's life who's having the baby and saving the baby's life and that that's always an option here? I believe so, and I also definitely believe that this takes faith in God as well, um, which some people wouldn't understand my mindset on that because not everyone's going to have the same beliefs as me. But I think God's going to do what he wants to do with a child, whether it's in the womb or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it definitely helps to take that into account. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I feel like, you know, if we're if we're if there's anything else that you'd like to say regarding this matter, um, then um, please please do because I would like to get into something else. But I know that you probably have a lot more to say as you did last night during show prep, and that's <laughs> totally fine. So I want you to be able to say everything you want to say before we move on. So what else do you have for us here? Um, I also wanted to address the issue of rape or incest, and um, or I guess both, because even though this only makes up. Two percent of the abortions um, being done, like in the U.S. and stuff. I think it's still a very serious thing, and I would never wish that on anyone. I can't imagine what that's like to go through. Um, but I read about a couple. I was doing a lot of research this week on people who were born or conceived of rape, mm. and I read two pretty cool stories. Um, one was from Rebecca Kiesling. And she was actually, she, her mother was raped and she was, her father is a rapist and that's how she was conceived. And this is her quote word for word. When you make that rape exception, it's like you're saying to me that I deserved the death penalty for the crimes of my father. Mm -hmm. According to the U.S. Supreme Court, my father didn't even deserve the death penalty. The Supreme Court has said there's no death penalty for rapists, but you say that I, as the innocent child of rape, deserved the death penalty. This woman was conceived from rape. She understands the immensity of that. It's in her family. 
And she still, had she been aborted, she wouldn't be able to make the changes in the world that she has today. And now she fights for the rights of unborn children because she could have been one of them. And so I think, I think um, it's really important to remember, like, you're taking away a child's chance at life, their chance to make a change in the world and to speak up for what needs to be said. Um, another instance is Miss Pennsylvania in 2014, Valerie Gatto. Um, she found out that she was conceived by rape when she was 10 years old. And this is what her mother said to her. She said, something bad happened to me. A very bad man hurt me, but God gave me you. And then today, uh, Valerie Gatto, she works with sexual assault victims. She helps teach women how to protect, how to protect themselves against sexual assault. And um, these were her words, word for word, on the Today Show. She said, I believe God put me here for a reason, to inspire people, to encourage them, and to give them hope that everything is possible and you can't let your circumstances define you. And so I think those are two really cool stories of two women who very well could have been aborted. I mean, and according to most people, even according to a lot of pro-life people, they could have been aborted and it should have been totally fine because it was rape, you know. But it's two really cool stories of women who came from really poor circumstances and they made something out of themselves and they're making a change in the world still so and and uh that's where i think that uh when you when you talk about pro-life people that say that 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 might still be a justifiable case for an abortion i think that i might fall on that side um just just in 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 rape and incest cases specifically because I uh, I really empathize with people that that have gone through stuff like that. Uh, I know people that specifically, and thank God that they didn't get pregnant or anything from it. But I know people that have experienced uh, sexual assault and 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 rape, and um, so I empathize deeply with that. Um, and I I know that in talking with with some of these people that they think that if they had gotten pregnant, then like they couldn't look at the child that they created. Uh, yeah, it'd be like a they constant would, reminder of the right, trauma that they and, went through. And they would have just seen their abuser in that. And so that's a really difficult line for me to walk. Um, and and I, I still really haven't made my mind fully up on that because I do consider myself to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. I think that I think that life is is sacred and sanctified by God from the time of conception, really even before conception for me. But then, and I think that life should only end via natural causes or, or you know, when whenever God uh, has, has decided that, that my time's up, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, so that's a really difficult line for me to walk. I really don't have a, a very a super solid opinion on that, but... Uh, um, I, I think that, that that's just where I have to push back a little bit on that. And I totally understand where you're coming from, and I see that very much. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm again, I'm kind of just undecided at this point on that. Yeah, honestly, I kind of feel the exact same way whenever it comes to those instances because, as we've seen, there are options. And, you know, we can we, – we, we have the technology and we have options um, to combat um, the problem of, like, oh, I was raped and I don't want to – have this child. I don't want to have to see this child every day because it's going to be a reminder. Well, you don't have to. Like, there are options. You can adopt, open or closed. You can, um, you know, if it's going to hurt your body, you can deliver the baby premature and then obviously move on to adoption if you don't want to see the baby. And then you can still have the baby. It doesn't matter. But I feel like they're, you know, I do understand what you mean, like not having a solid um, opinion on this. And it's only because there are 
there's so many like uh, there's too many aspects of it to be like okay I can totally form a completely solid opinion because I have completely solid um, situations here because they're not they're all interchangeable right there's so many different factors that there play are into there's it. so many different it's, factors. it's a multifaceted analysis yeah, that you have to do of every sure. single individual case and 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 that, that it just makes the problem a whole lot more complex but yeah. so in in cases like that I think that um, abortion I guess could be an avenue not one that I would ever want someone to choose um, but but I think that we need to really be adamant about all these other options that we have and be like, hey, you don't have to kill this baby. I understand that like this was it, it was created via trauma, but like there are so many options for life here. So that is what I think the pro life cause needs to really emphasize is not just like you have to live with this this uh, like what what happened to you because like the, it, for for a lot of religious people, it's like well this is God's plan, but. But, but God's plan could be life for this child in another way. Yeah. yeah, and I think God puts these people, puts people in this world to use them. And like I said earlier, that's why I want to run an orphanage and like work with children like that. It's because I think that's definitely something that the pro-life movement could work towards is doing things for these families after the baby is born. Families that can't afford it, a woman who's been raped, um, just in general, I think it'd be really cool to see the pro-life movement step up more um, towards helping the lives of people who are born. Yeah, yeah, and I think that something that I wanted to go back on real fast and not go back on like on my opinion, but go back and touch on is, um, you know, you said we need to be exploring these other options. And the, the sad reality of it is, is that these options aren't, they're not uh, advertised. There's not a you know they're not franchised right. advertised we like see abortion. We Planned Parenthood commercials and everything, but we don't ever. We see never hear see about a, a, an adoption agency commercial. We never right. see a um, you know a, a. It's because they don't get the funding. For they it. don't, but mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood does, and you know one of the reasons why I really cannot stand behind Planned Parenthood is one of the reasons why I walked away from the Democrat Party. Um, I, I'd love to go into detail with this right now and just kind of talk about this. But I think it's very important that, you know, a lot of people who do see abortion as a form of birth control know what they're endorsing and they mm-hmm. know what they're supporting whenever it comes to that. Right. So abortions, the, the origin of abortions and Planned Parenthood was all rooted in racism. Mm -hmm. The Democrat Party's uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest started the KKK, or he was one of the founding members of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have to do more research on that, but that much I do know is true. He was one of the first Grand Wizards, if not the first Grand Wizard. And out of the KKK grew the women of the KKK. And from the women of the KKK, Margaret Sanger emerged. And Margaret, Margaret Sanger, Sanger actually spoke at one of the women of the KKK uh, first rallies. She did. Held. Yes, she did. Um, and then Margaret Sanger um, decided that, you know, she had a vision for kind of a whitewashed America. And basically that just means white. Right. So but hardly whitewashed, really just no. white. She really um, thought of a superior race in this you know, in this country. And so what she did was she came up with the idea of eugenics, which was essentially um, <clears throat> what we know today as, you know, baby killing, genocide. baby killing, genocide. It's literally a genocide. And so she decided that, you know, she wanted to eradicate this race of people so mm-hmm. we can have us all looking the same. We don't have to have anyone. She literally even said, the biggest uh, sin, what was it? The biggest sin the, is the to bring... The biggest sin of this world is to bring a child into this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, specifically, that was uh, in an interview um, later on in her life uh, when she founded um, the American Eugenics Society, 
uh, it, that uh, a quote from the American Eugenics Society in 1972, kind of their like mission statement is improving the genetic composition of humans through controlled reproduction of different races and classes. Um, and so that's specifically talking about uh, controlling it through through race and class. Um, but but you go back even further to before um, Margaret Sanger uh, ever spoke at that KKK rally, uh, before she started Planned Parenthood. Um, uh, she she said, I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded and, and the insane and the syphilitic. Uh, the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. Uh, it means the release and cultivation of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual expiration or destruction of defective stocks. Those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. And that was her in regards to uh, African Americans. Like She said that in an interview uh, uh, for an article in the New York Times in 1923. So this is far before uh, her speaking at the KKK rally. Um, and uh, this the, the article was actually titled uh, um, The American uh, Thoroughbred. So, so taking all oh, of the that just made my blood boil. <laughs> taking all of the best genes and and in her eyes the white genes, right? And um and creating this thoroughbred human, and yeah. um it, it's crazy to me because like she talks about the sterilization of uh, inferior race a lot, and um it, uh, it, the the goal of of hers is was to uh, either eradicate or or um, level off the production of, of the African-American community through Planned Parenthood. And you see that it to, even today where we, we find 70% of Planned Parenthood um, locations, uh, locations yeah. in these uh, predominantly African-American uh, poorer neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's really not that hard to see the repercussions of that still today. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at least no one today is endorsing this woman, right? Well, well uh, got some news for you, listeners. <laughs> we have a recording, actually, of Hillary Clinton back in 2016 in her presidential race where she actually um, praised Margaret Sanger mm -hmm. for her work. Why don't you play that for us, Jet? Here it goes. Oh, let's get the volume turned up. Technology. Right there. Sorry, y'all. And here we go. I admire Margaret Sanger enormously. Her courage, her tenacity, her vision. I am really in awe of her. That's Hillary Clinton for you folks. Yeah, the who, person that 60 million people voted for back had, in 2016. Who had Hillary endorsing racism on their 2016 bingo card? Uh, I, think, uh, I think I did. You did? Yeah, okay, yeah, good, I'm good, good. Sure okay, I did. Good deal. <laughs> but no, this is something, this is not something that has gone away in time at all. Like, no one is like, you know, people are still to this day like, thank goodness that Planned Parenthood is actually taking away her name from things at least. But you still have people following this. But that just started this. this year. But that just started this year, which means that it just recently stopped last year, which means that it's gone on for that long. And you can talk about all of this with. Um, with someone who is like pro-choice and pro-Planned Parenthood and they're like, well, yeah, but Margaret Sanger lived in a time that everyone was racist and blah, blah, blah. Like she grew up during the Jim Crow era. Well, but the the thing with that is it, it's it's pretty abundantly clear to read through her quotes and, and, and even if you want to say that that's not racist, it is anti-human rights. Yeah, and honestly, There's a human rights issue with the this. people that excuse racism so much are 
are the most racist people, actually, in my opinion. Like, if you're actually going to sit there and excuse racism that happened less than 100 years ago in your own country, then I have some news for you. You are a racist. You are somehow racist in it's, some form or fashion. Yeah, it, it just dates back to, to, to these roots that we're talking about here with, yeah. with Planned Parenthood, with Margaret Sanger, with the KKK. It's all cut from the same cloth, and yeah. that cloth is is largely that largely holds uh, democratic uh, is, is a democratic principles, and, and it's been a democratic stronghold, and it's it's masked itself very well throughout the years. But um, yeah, uh, Planned Parenthood definitely uh, was was started to to create this genocide, and and under and it the is guise, a genocide. Yeah, and under the guise of women's health care. Yeah, and we literally said in the first of the show, you know, more black children were aborted in New York City in 2019 than more black children that were born. Like this is this is a true statistic, and you can go look it up. It's it's for real, and that's that's literally a genocide. Now, if if in my opinion, if black if Black Lives Matter were to change their name to Black All uh, Black Babies Matter or something like that, or some or, and, you know Black Fetuses Matter, I would right. put on a BLM T-shirt right now. Candace mm-hmm. Owens literally said that in a speech at one of her schools that she talked to, and I completely agree because that is an actual genocide. Yeah, and you don't have, it's not an opinion that it's a genocide either, and that's something a lot of people will get confused. I got just completely destroyed on Facebook the other day for saying that abortion was a genocide. Um, And look at the numbers. 60 million lives. 60 million lives. And the interesting thing about that number is that when you break it down further, 20 million, uh, around 20, 22 million actually, uh, of those are, are African-American babies that have been aborted. So if you want to talk about disproportionality in numbers, and if you want to talk about maybe something that might be considered systemic racism, the system of Planned Parenthood and the system that we've embraced that, that embraces abortion is it, like disproportionately killing black lives. Mm. So so back to what you were saying, Kellum, yes. If if Black Lives Matter, the organization, truly thought that Black Lives Matter, then they would have a problem with the fact that one-third of the babies aborted since Roe v. Wade have been African-American, and that that means that like that's that's 33% of those aborted when African-Americans make up only 13% of the population. Yeah, and it, they, it, they don't have a problem with that. In fact, when the BLM movement was going on, you would get hate if you said black unborn lives matter. That was not okay. Because to that's say. not what they're talking about right now. They're just focusing on police brutality and this this narrative that the media was pushing all summer long that that angry white police officers are just going out and hunting down African Americans in the street and that and, and while racism is an issue and while individual cops like are there are some individual racists amongst police officers like we need to deal with the biggest taker of black lives if you want to claim that black lives matter and the biggest taker of black lives is abortion it's true it's actually true and you know <clears throat> i think that uh oh, i just lost my train of thought actually um mm, you know i i had something that i was going to say but i i honestly honest to god cannot remember jet i believe you had a question that you're going to ask yeah now. so um kind of hopping back into uh, just focusing on abortion and not focusing on Planned Parenthood, the avenue of abortion. Um, so we were kind of talking about women's health care before we got on that uh, yeah, that yeah, train we... about Black Lives Matter and, and all that stuff. But um, so uh, this is a question for, for Bonnie that I have. Um, 
uh, the, we, we've heard the saying, my body, my choice, when talking about abortion and women's health care. Uh, what is your take on, on this sentiment, and, and why do you think that uh, people choose to, to use this phrase? Um, I think people choose to use the phrase because they don't see the human that's inside of them. But scientifically, it's not just your body. That's just a fact. You're carrying a second person inside of you, and you're not alone. It's it's a really hard concept to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp. I've never been pregnant. I don't know what it feels like. But you're literally growing a breathing human with a heartbeat inside of you. Right, and that's something I like to bring up when I talk to people about this because when people say that they're pro-choice, uh, and they and they say my body, my choice. Well, I say. Okay, well, does that mean that when you're pregnant, are you going to have uh, 10 fingers and 10 toes? Are you going to have two heads? If you have a, a boy, or do you have a, a penis now? Is, is No. The, the, the simple fact is, is no. That's, that's not the case because it is another body now that you are having mm-hmm. to, to take into account that, that is forming inside of you. Mm, for sure. Um, so, um, do you have anything else you wanted to say about that? Um, yeah, a little bit. I just don't, like, that's such a hard concept for me to grasp why people say, my body, my choice. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And like I said, I've never been pregnant, but two of my sisters this year have gone through pregnancy, and I've seen one of them had a pretty good pregnancy, you know, and the other one had the opposite. And so I've gotten to see kind of both sides of pregnancy being hard, pregnancy being easy, but then I also, now I get to see the outcome every day, whether it be on my phone or whether I be home, I get to see my two beautiful nieces. And it makes, like, it gets me very emotional when I think about how they, like, what what would I do if one of them had been aborted, you know? That's, they lit, they're on this earth, they're breathing, they're, I'm gonna get to watch them grow up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it just, it really, really breaks my heart to think about the fact that someone once thought it was okay for my nie- one of m- for either of my nieces to be killed because they were in the womb and they weren't on the earth. Right. And yeah. and um, I, I kind of want to talk about the the whole concept of choice. Um, so in in eighty five percent of abortion cases, I think that the mother had uh, the 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 choice uh, of the matter stopped when when the decision was made to to have sex. Right. That is your choice, and you have to deal with the consequences of your choices. Um, You're like speaking it, in the eighty-five percent of knowingly yes, having right. sex. Yes, right. The other fifteen percent is a different story and a different argument. Right. But this eighty-five percent of abortion on demand is 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 a choice uh, that is made well before the the pregnancy is is conceived. Right, and um, uh, in in these cases, um, basically, uh, I if I make a choice to start smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, then I have to deal with the consequences that I'm probably gonna get lung cancer. And so if, if you make the choice that you're gonna have sex, you have to deal with the consequences that you might get pregnant. And I think that's something that um, is really, a lot of people don't understand, and I guess the whole idea of abstinence roots from Christianity, or at least like most of it. And that's something that our world doesn't teach anymore we don't teach abstinence you see uh lust and sexual like everything in on tv and commercials in music everything is sexualized in our world and um i actually saw an article the other day 
talking about how if you want to decrease abortions, stop preaching abstinence and preach safe sex. That doesn't make any sense to me at all because the biggest birth control is abstinence. You know, and I think it's become so normal for people to just have sex whenever with whoever they want. And if you get pregnant, don't worry, there's six ways you can kill the child that. And I think that's horrible that that's something that's so normalized and not treated as sacred. God gave us sex to be a beautiful, sacred thing between a husband and a wife. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's really sad to see it be so normalized and so in turn, like, into a sin culture yeah for sure i think that i think that honestly and one of the things that i didn't talk about last week that i wanted to but you've touched on it here a little bit is that whenever you actually look back at like books like the naked communist Mm -hmm. and i'm so hardly i can't stand the idea of socialism and i can't stand the idea of abortion so these co-mingle so well here but you it's true like we see sexualized behavior in everything and one of the goals of um the communist agenda in the united states back in the uh 1900s was to make that a normalized thing, make art sexual, to make your music sexual, to introduce the idea of pornography as something that's normal, mm-hmm. um, and to make it healthy. Right. And I think that that's definitely taken apart in this, and we've seen the results of it. And I think it's definitely, um, I think it's definitely on a rampant incline to this day. It's turned our culture into something that's that's just secular. Like we, this country used to be. I mean, we, we were founded on Judeo-Christian values, um, but and that was still true uh, in the family structure uh, of the 1900s, the mid 1900s, in in every community of every race of every gender. Like that, that's just was something that we clung on to. But today, we've let secularism seep into our culture, into our society, and it's really ripping us apart, uh, just at the base root of of who we are and who we were. You know. Mm. Um. If you haven't seen it before, there's a video, and you can probably find it on YouTube unless it's been taken down already. Uh, and it's a video of Kamala Harris talking about how she wants to make sex Easy. work Easy. I want to call her Kamala because people will come for your oh, throat if you I'm call sorry. her Kamala. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Kamala Harris talking about how she wants to make sex work legal. Legalize sex work. I think her exact words were, I think sex work should be legal, but we should get a grip on the crimes that come with it. The deal is calling it sex work instead of prostitution is part of the issue. It's it's the vernacular. She's it's choosing. taking it's taking the stigma away from it, which makes people okay with it. And that's going to be that's the easiest route to up the two percent of abortions due to rape, mm-hmm. because with sex work with prostitution comes pre- unwanted pregnancies. Mm-hmm. There will be and it, you're there's going to be such a higher amount of abortions from that because like it's uh, most of the women in sex work are single women Mm -hmm. doing this to make money because they need the money right right and so if you look the reason women have abort children they don't have a a baby daddy Mm -hmm. they don't they can't afford a child Mm -hmm. or it's going to interfere with work and so that hits all three right there Mm -hmm. yeah wow you hit the nail on the head with that one yeah (laughs) um so moving on here uh because i feel like we could talk about this all day um, moving on, I do want to know your opinion on this because it's rather a pressing matter right now, um, especially in the feminist world. Um, do you, as a woman, think that a man has any say in a woman's choice to abort a baby, whether they're a blood relative, a boyfriend, 
husband, brother, etc. As a woman, what do you think? Do do, do men's feelings matter here? Do their emotions actually matter? It really, really gets under my skin when people say that men cannot speak on the topic of abortion. Because it takes two people to create a baby. It takes a man and a woman. And I think that it's really selfish to say that, for example, if, like, I were to get pregnant and my the father of my child, I wanted to have an abortion, and the father of my child was like, no, please keep our baby. And I was like, you don't count because you don't have to carry the baby. That's still his child. Mm-hmm. Like, it is equally his child as it is yours. And honestly, at some to some extent, it's unfair. Of A mother gets a special bond with her child because she gets to carry her child for nine months. Right. A father doesn't get that bond. He gets as much as he can get and as much as he will give and stuff, but he doesn't get the experience of carrying a child. And I say get the experience because I do think pregnancy is a really beautiful thing. And so I think it's so selfish to say that yeah, this baby is equally yours, but you don't have a say in whether it lives or dies. Right, and and I have two things to say to that. One thing being, um, the mother that keeps the child expects the father to be fully present and to to be financially responsible and and help pay for for the baby because it's because in those cases the the mother claims well it's equally yours, and I I agree with that. Yes, but that means that in, in, in vice versa, if the mother doesn't want to keep the 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 child then the father has equal uh, equal say in that you know um, and, and I think that the whole concept of of the woman's choice and it, her say being final is so unfair because I think that it goes beyond just being her and the father's choice I think it has to do with there, there are four players in this game and and the first one's the mother right and we talked about that we we talked about the father being the second one the third one is the infant the child it doesn't have a say and so and as Christians we we are called to be a voice for the people that don't have one, and that's a really easy example to use in that situation. And then the fourth one is God, and and I, we know what God thinks about life. God God says that life is is sacred, um, and and so uh, I, I, that's kind of what I want to segue to here, Bonnie. What what is some some theological text that you think can um, can back up? Uh, our, our cause for life, for defending life. Yeah, um, I want to start off by saying I am a Christian, if that's not obvious by now. I definitely believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe God placed all of us on this earth for a reason and for a purpose, and he knows what our life is going to look like without us knowing. Um, I think the religious aspect of this is something that people immediately throw out of the window because people don't believe religion and politics should mix. Well, I believe that if you're really passionate about your beliefs and you're firm in them, you should want the world to follow the morals of your beliefs, you know. And I'm not saying that I think everyone should be forced to be a Christian or believe the same way because God granted us free will so that we would have the right to choose him. And he wants us to choose him, but he's not going to force us to. That's something that we have to decide on our own. But I believe that the Bible gives more than enough evidence to show that abortion is wrong and life begins when it begins in God's eyes. Um, the first verse that I wanted to talk about is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And it says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderful made, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. 
You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So for me, that verse really talks about uh, ethics of, of uh, life and, and versus abortion specifically. Um, it, uh, I, I think that we have to, to look at uh, the people that support abortion uh, and, and say that it's the right to control their bodies. Um, and, and to that, I say that yet yeah, like the moral right to govern our own bodies is biblical in principle, but the Bible recognizes that an individual's rights end where another's begin. Uh, so from conception, the developing baby is a distinct individual with its own identity. Uh, and, and that's kind of what that verse is touching on. It's, it's, uh, really like God knows us before we were, we were woven in our mother's womb. And, and so to, to. Uh, claim that that the mother has a say to to kill that child to kill that image of God that is that is going against God directly I believe yeah yeah and we talked about this a little bit last night during show prep but in jet this was these were jet's words I just really like them jet had a really good point he said morality does not exist without Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and if you look at it the Bible the morals in the Bible the Beatitudes the Sermon on the Mount the Ten Commandments in the whole book of James you see these things and these are these are morals good morals that the world lives by that the law for the most part abides by um, and so it's Christianity is not some evil thing. Christianity is not something that should be frowned upon because it stands for good morals. It stands, at the very least, it stands for good morals. It stands for hope, you know. And so I think as Christians, like, this is definitely a really important topic for us to talk about because even though it's not easy, this is not easy for me at all to talk about because I don't, scary um (laughs) but as christians you know we're not called to live comfortable lives or to be passive about topics like this and um in fact if you read the book of james being a christian means you're called to be uncomfortable definitely and being uncomfortable doesn't mean like going out and be like you have to be a christian or you're going to hell no being uncomfortable means setting an example of Jesus Christ and in the world that you're in today, which is so hard. It means being a role model of Jesus, even though pretty much a, like everyone around you is not going to be. Right. And and a lot of people think that that we are called to be passive as Christians about topics like this. But so I'm, I'm reading uh, Hugh Hewitt's In But Not Of. It's a guide to Christian ambition and the desire to influence the world. It's an amazing book. And, and he has uh, a, a portion in here that I'd like to read from. Uh, it's it's a quote from um, from Henry James. Uh, and, and and he it says uh, it is not a world of peace and beauty and disp- dispassionate uh, rationality. Um, life is in fact a battle. Evil is insolent and strong. Beauty uh, enchanting but rare. Goodness very apt to be weak. Folly very apt to be defiant. Wickedness to carry the day. Imbeciles to be great in great places. People of sense in small. And mankind generally unhappy. But the world as it stands is no narrow illusion, no phantasm, no evil dream of the night. We wake up to it forever and ever, and we can neither forget it nor deny it nor dispense with it. So that's kind of talking, and, and he literally says, um, what's it say? Wickedness to carry the day. And I think that abortion is, is wicked. I think it's evil and vile, and I think that it dominates a lot of political discussions in, in today's uh, uh, very polarized political realm. Mm-hmm. 
In Proverbs 6, 16, it talks about seven things that are an abomination to the, to the Lord, one of them being hands that shed innocent blood. And this is like 60 million children. That's the biggest example I can think of of shedding innocent blood. Mm-hmm. Those you know, that's an abomination sinned. in the Lord's eyes. Mm-hmm. They've never sinned. They've never had the chance to even breathe outside the womb. Like how, how they who can't can be speak. more? They can't even speak. That's why I'm here to like speak for them. That's why so many people. My dad goes and preaches at the abortion clinics. That's why so many people around me are here to speak for these children because they can't speak for themselves. There's no one more pure than an unborn infant. They they they're untouched by the cruelties of this world, by the sorrow and mm-hmm. and so so yeah. No, I I totally agree with that point, Bonnie. That's that's really good. Thank you. Well. Um, you have something else? I'd like to oh, end with one. All right. Sorry, you go on. You I just want to end with one more verse, and it comes from Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so I feel like that's a pretty good verse to close on there. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I definitely think it's important to talk about this and to look more into abortion rather than whether it be you're hopping on the bandwagon, you don't know much about it, or like, I don't know, just like look into the statistics more, look into, if you're a Christian, look into the biblical aspect of it more, you know, and stuff. And I think this is definitely an important topic that definitely has placed a lot of conviction on my heart in my life. And so I'm really glad that I got to be here to talk about it yeah, today. Yeah, we're really glad that we got we're to have so you on. We're so happy. Yeah, we're and, super And I excited. wanted to say something to to anyone listening to this that may may have had an abortion or or may know someone that has an abortion. Um, I, I think that uh, it's important for you to know, uh, for you to let that person know that that they have been forgiven if they've repented and trusted in Christ alone. Because because I think that abortion is a sin, but but all sin is forgivable. Um, and and as Christians, we're called to uphold the duty to nurture the unborn, um, and and so to to better help those people that have experienced those things, um, um, we we can we can lobby uh, for our politicians to to enact laws that protect the unborn and providing for those who think abortion is their only option. We have to consider uh, like giving to local crisis pregnancy centers and seeking to to prevent abortions. We we just have to really look out for for the mother as much as we're trying to look out for. For, for the child, and I think that's that's something that the pro-life movement has been missing, and I think that's something that's really important for us to address uh, as we continue to develop the pro-life aspect of of, uh, of Christianity. Amen. I'm really glad you said that, actually. Um, well, I think this was a very productive episode. Bonnie, we're super excited that we got to have you on. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad I got to be here. Um, look out for us next week when we talk with Paul Hippler, um, what we talk about. Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. Um, did I just say find out? <laughs> tune in to find out. We're really excited to have him on. He's a really cool dude, very insightful, a light under this world, and I think that he's definitely going to change the world around him every single day. Most definitely. We're really excited to have him. Looking forward to it. And uh, we're really excited that you got to listen to this episode. And uh, that's a wrap. Good job. Good job. <laughs>